Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Ephesians this morning as we look at it. It's a, it's a book. It was uh, a letter that was written by Paul and it was uh, written to the church of Ephesus, but it was written to more than just the church of Ephesus. It was written to the surrounding churches and it was meant to be a letter that was passed around and circulated and that would encourage the whole body of Christ like us. So many letters we read, we find that there was a specific issue Paul was dealing with. There was a specific uh, heresy that was being taught. There was a problem. There was a leadership issue. And sometimes we can look at that and go, okay, well, that, that's, that was written to obviously somebody who's going through this or having this problem or having that problem. It's still really good stuff. It's still very meaningful. But, um, but yeah, this really isn't our church, right? This isn't our situation. Well, here we have a letter that was written, yes, to the church of Ephesus, but some of our earliest manuscripts that we have actually don't include the word Ephesus in there. And then others have it. And, and, but what we do know is that because of its lack of personal greeting, Paul always put a personal reference, a personal greeting. There was a very personal touch to it. We noticed that that personal touch, and you're going to notice as you're reading through Ephesians, that personal relationship is missing. And it's not because of a lack of closeness with the church of Ephesus. He was there for up to three years teaching and challenging, and they went through uh, riots that I'm going to talk about in a minute. They went through all sorts of different things. So there was a very personal relationship. So if it was only and strictly written to just the church of Ephesus, we certainly would have seen the, the, the personal acknowledgement, the relationship, that personal greeting, that personal challenge. I mean, after all, at one point in time, I mean, Timothy was a pastor at Ephesus, and and Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul left there, were. There was just, there was so many personal relationships and strong relationships that Paul had there that if it was literally written to Ephesus and Ephesus alone, even though all the letters were circulated, then we would have seen a much more personal approach to the letter. That approach is missing. So what we know is we have a letter here that while it's addressing people in Ephesians, that's fine, it was written to the surrounding churches in the, in the Asian, Asian Minor Providence. And it was meant to be circular. It was meant to challenge the church. What I want to do for you this morning is I want to bring you back to the very end of Paul's life. I want to bring you to the last few years. And this isn't in your outline, and it won't be on the screen. So if you do have a Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, and it's going to be verses 15 through... Uh, we're going to go skip around a little bit, but it'll be verses 15 through 31. So Acts chapter 8, and that would be the first book of the Bible right after all the Gospels, okay? So, in the New Testament, right after the four Gospels. So, in Acts chapter 28, verse 15, it starts with this. The brothers and sisters there, they're meaning Rome. He had just, uh, he had been shipwrecked. He got himself on another ship after staying on an island and all these different things. And for what end is that he was a prisoner being transferred to Rome. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But he was a prisoner being transferred to Rome. And now he had made it. He was heading to the shores of Rome. And this is what he says. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. 
Can I just say something? Our brothers and sisters in Christ are a great encouragement to us. And just know that when you are in distress and you are in pain, when a brother or sister shows up and their face is at your door, it's on the other end of a phone, it's a text, you know that that is an ally, that is a partner in the gospel. They come with the love of Christ and it absolutely overwhelms our souls and we become thankful. Anybody can wish me well. Anybody can shake my hand. Anybody can give me an encouragement. But when a brother or sister who is faithful in the Lord, a brother or sister who knows the love of Christ, a brother or sister who has gone through the dark moments and clung to the hand of Christ, when they encourage me, when they put a hand on my back, when they show up to my door, my heart is thankful. And that's what Paul's saying here. Been through some dark moments. And the brothers and sisters in Christ showed up at the dock. They showed up. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Remember, he was still under arrest. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Here he was under arrest. He's in Rome, and he says, here we go. we got to get to work. we got to get to work. Is there an urgency to our walks with Christ? Is there an urgency to who we are? Is there an urgency that we live for one purpose and one purpose alone? Remember all the way back to last summer when we studied uh, Philippians? Paul lived for one purpose, that was to declare the gospel of Christ, to share Christ, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm here, it's for Christ. If I'm gone, it's with Christ. Woo, I'm in, right? That's kind of the way Paul lived his life. And what an example to us. Here he is, shipwrecked, I mean, uh, almost dead, still in chains, in prison. He could be sitting there just moping. Are you kidding me? This is my life. This is the way it's going to end. And he said, hey, give me the Jewish leaders. Come on. We got work to do. We got to be talking about the gospel. And so he does. He gathers them. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leader. And when, he had, when, they, when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against our, the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So he's calling together the Jewish leaders. He's letting them know the reason why he is there to see Caesar. So he petitioned himself. He appealed through the courts, if you will, right? So first he was sentenced, and then he was the, the Rome found no accusation against him that should have stuck. And he said, no, I want to now bring charges, if you will, against my own people for this accusation. So I'm going to go to Caesar. I want him to rule over this. But he said, he's saying here that I'm not here to bring accusation against my people. I need to get to Caesar for I am in chains to declare the gospel. Here's what Paul knew. To stand in front of Caesar would get the message of Christ through the world. That was the center of the world, to get the message to Caesar, to get the message to Caesar's household, to get the message in the center of Rome, to proclaim it would be the fastest way to get the gospel throughout the world. Are we willing and ready to make sacrifices of any stretch, of any means, of any measure, that the gospel of Christ would go out through the world? And so here he is calling together, he goes, I want you to know my intention. I don't come as your enemy. I know you think I am, but I don't come as your enemy. I come as the one who loves Israel. I come as one who loves Yahweh. I come as one who is ready to explain the truth to you. 
And then he told them. Some believed and some didn't believe. And then they began to debate. And here's where we picked up in verse 25. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave Paul after he made his final statement. After, and after this, he made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet. This is Paul now talking to the, to the religious leaders, bringing up what the prophet Isaiah said about their stubbornness. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. That's so true of so many people we know and so many people in our lives. Their ears are closed to the gospel. Their eyes are closed to what's happening around them in the lives of those who are in Christ. We want to give up sometimes. We want to back on them sometimes. We want to just crawl on our own shelf sometimes and think it doesn't really matter what I say or do. People are not receiving it. And let Paul be an example for us. Press on. Press forward. And know the power that you have in Christ. For he's doing something through you and with you. You can't always see it, but he's changing lives all around you. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. He says, I understand you may not receive it, but I'm going forward and I'm taking it to the Gentiles. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Imagine that. Here he's in a Roman prison, chained to a guard. And he's got boldness, and it says without hindrance. He proclaimed, he proclaimed, he proclaimed, he proclaimed. He wrote letters to the churches challenging them. He wrote letters to the churches correcting them. He wrote letters saying, be bold. I'm in chains. On behalf of the gospel, press forward, for the power of Christ is sufficient. And that is who we are to be, that bold of a people. That bold of a people. These would be the last years of Paul's life. They would be spent in chains and under house arrest. But they would not be wasted. He'd be teaching and proclaiming the gospel. He'd be teaching and proclaiming the gospel. Tradition tells us that Paul and Peter were executed in Rome under the reign of the emperor Nero around A.D. 65. Peter was crucified upside down and Paul was beheaded. They gave their lives for the gospel literally that it might spread and go forth. The dating of Ephesians, the book we're going to study, well, it was written between A.D. 60 and 62. A.D. 60 and 62. While Paul was in chains in Rome, he wrote Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we have captured those books together, and we call them the prison epistles. And he instructed and encouraged the churches while he was in prison. Ephesus itself was one of the most important cities of the time. It was one of the five most important cities in that providence of Asia Minor. It was not only important for its Commerce, it wasn't only important for its intellectual uh, ability and, you know, learning and things like that, but it was most famous of being the temple of the goddess Diana. And the temple of the goddess Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
It was this massive building, and they believed that Zeus had literally dropped them this, uh, this statue or this piece of worship or whatever it was. It literally dropped it from heaven for them to worship, and they built a temple around it that they would worship it. And Paul, on his trip through that area, stops in Ephesus and begins to proclaim and teach the gospel. And he's proclaiming and teaching the gospel. People are coming to know Christ. They are seeing the, the false God that they worship that is impotent and, and, and unable and is not all things and is not, and it is, it, it, this false God can't accomplish anything. It changes no lives. It brings no one from the dead back to life. It has nothing for their future. There's no hope or promise in it. There is no security in it that brings no peace into their life. And Paul unpacks the true living God and tells them who, the characteristics of the true living God, who Jesus Christ is, what he did for them, regardless of what they did for God. That's the key message right there that Paul unpacks in the first three chapters of Ephesians that we did nothing, nothing at all to receive this amazing grace, this outrageous love, this salvation, this acceptance into a relationship with God. We did nothing. And yet, if you worship the goddess of Diana, you had to do all sorts of things. You had to stir a ruckus hoping that, that she would bless you somehow. You had to buy things and do things and, 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 and partake in all sorts of evil and sin in worship to this false stone God that it could accomplish nothing. And so people were giving their lives to Christ like crazy. Gentiles were coming rushing in to the throne room of God. Yes, I want life because I have had death and death has stung and stunk my life. Well, it caused a problem in that area. And uh, you, you see, tied to the worship of the goddess Diana was all this money. Because you had to sell the things that it took to worship. You had to sell the literature. You had to sell the, the pieces and the artifacts. You had to sell the statues that would be in people's homes. You had to sell all those things. And oh man, you can do a lot of things, but don't mess with our economy. Sounds a bit like us sometimes. You can do a lot of things. Don't mess with my pocketbook. You can do a lot of things. Don't mess with the with our finances. You can do a lot of things, God. Okay. I know that's all of us sometimes. It, it hurts a little bit. I know. I know. But here's the deal. This one went crazy. This one went crazy. So a silversmith by the name of Demetrius stands up and he literally starts a revolt. These people are, are robbing our income. These people are, are taking from us. These people are turning people away from, from the goddess Diana. These people are causing these other people to worship a, a false god. And so a riot starts because here's what happened. Oh, the people who turned their lives over to Christ, they didn't just stop buying the artifacts. They didn't just stop buying the literature. Here's what they did. They started a massive fire. And they started burning everything. You had these, these silver things burning. And you had the literature burning. And you saw the goddess of, all they had to do with the goddess of Diana just go up and smoke. Boosh! Oh, man. They were bold. They're like, I found life. I'm getting rid of death right now. And Demetrius said, well, we got to stop this. We got to stop this quick. Let's put an end to this. <laughs> they burned everything. They'll have to rebuy it. That's great for the economy. Let's go. 
Paul went in there to defend the message of the gospel. The followers, the believers, the brothers and sisters pulled him back and said, you can't, you'll be killed. Others walked ahead of him. See, that's what we do sometimes. We walk ahead of one another into those dark spots. We walk ahead of another, one another into those trials. We walk ahead of one another sometimes into those really difficult moments because the person behind us, because the person we're walking in front of, God gave us that job to walk in front and put our chest out and go, I got you this time. And so some others walked in ahead of him and they began to speak. And as they began to speak, this, for two hours, this chant for Diana, this chant for Diana rung out. And the only way that this thing stopped was the clerk steps up and he goes, people, stop. Stop. I find no guilt in these people. I find no problem in these people. In other words, he's saying, look, if the goddess of Diana is really powerful, what are these people? They can't stop it. You just see the smile on Paul's face. That's my God right behind the scenes taking care of it. That's my God right behind the scenes unpacking this whole thing for us. And suddenly the riot stops. Everybody kind of goes back to normal life. And Paul spends the next two years teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. Not just two years, but many years. But teaching and the gospel continues and the gospel goes out. And the church of Ephesus becomes one of the largest churches in the known world. More people come to know Christ, even in the midst of chaos and a revolt, than in most other places in the known world. Sometimes we see pain, and sometimes we see a little bit of chaos, and sometimes we see something coming against us, and we think that God isn't in it, when many times it is the exact opposite. I'm going to not say many times. But it is the exact opposite because God is always in it. He always has a plan that's much bigger than ours. He always knows what's ahead of us. He's always working out things for our benefit. But the benefit of the kingdom and the gospel. But we just need to walk with him and be faithful. And suddenly that which should have been a riot, that which should have been a slaughter of, of these new Christians, that which should have decapitated Paul right there on the spot, suddenly goes away. And now there's favor among the people. And that church thrives. Huh. Right? In the backyard of a temple devoted to the goddess of Diana. Pretty cool. The theme and purpose of the letter is unity in Christ. All things come together under Christ. Christ is the commonality between all of us. Christ is the head of all things. All things will surrender their lives to Christ at one time or another. If not now, when he comes back, everyone and everything and every knee will bow to his name, to his command, and to his authority. So, in terms of eternity, he has, through his death, Christ has, through his death, brought all things under his control. All things. We will experience that in fullness in eternity. We will experience that in fullness when he returns here on earth. But we experience it through the spirit that he binds all of us with his church. We experience that authority. So all those that are in Christ or under his authority, he protects us. All those that are in Christ, he holds with a confident grip that he will never lose them nor forsake them. All those that are in Christ, he empowers to live this incredible life that he's given us. 
all those that are in Christ, he unified that the church would be the most victorious entity of Christ on all the earth, the church. So the message and purpose of Ephesians is unity in Christ. All are in Christ. All is held together. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 says this. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. All that Christ did was the Father's good pleasure. And this is what he did. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity of all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That word unity is important because before Christ, all were at war with God. All were enemies with God. And where there is war, there is not peace. Where there is war, there is not unity. Where there is war, there is pain, and there is fear, and there is trembling, and there is intrepidation. And through Christ, we are now have unity with God. Through Christ, all barriers between us and the Father have been ripped away. And through Christ, we have been made his sons and his daughters. You've heard me share that expression before. We've been made his sons and his daughters. I hope that as we go through the book of Ephesians, this idea that we are in Christ will absolutely overwhelm your thoughts and your mind. But that you are the sons and daughters of God would absolutely cause you to fall back in your chair and go, whoa, that's something entirely different. That's an entirely different way to look at life. I live with an entirely different cadence in my life. And I live with an entirely different power. Can I bring it down to just an earthly, everyday example, if you don't mind? My boys have access to everything that I have. They do. We've made sure of that. We've just lived our lives like that. They have access to, to everything. They know how to get into my bank accounts. They know how to get into my house. They know how to drive my car. They, know, they have keys to my car. You, you name it, they have it. They have my authority to act on my behalf. They have my authority to represent my name. They have my authority to stand in front and say, I represent the Geonosis family, and here's our choices and decisions. They have my authority to do that. Because they're my sons. And because I have taught them how to conduct themselves. And because I've given them all that I have. Yet, doesn't amount to a whole much in this life. It's, it's a lot of trust, and there's a real value to that relationship. It only goes so far. Like, literally, if they want to go buy a house tomorrow, they wouldn't get very far. Right? They want to go travel around the world. I don't think they could actually make it. Right? My, my son loves Tesla. If he actually wanted to go buy a Tesla, they're going to laugh at him and send him away. He'll pull out his dad's credit card, and they'll go, what are you going to do with that? It's just no good. They can walk into a couple places here or there. They can say, hey, my last name's Giannosa. Oh, yeah, I know your dad. Yeah, a couple places. Most of the world, they walk in, they go, I don't care what your last name is, brother. Who do you think you are? Right? They can walk up to the front of the line of a restaurant and go, I want your best table. You do, huh? Yeah, my name's Giannosa. Terrific. You get where I'm going with that, right? On an earthly level, I've given everything, all power and authority that I have, 
to my sons, and that's limited within our sphere of scope and influence, but in our sphere of scope and influence, that's a very powerful thing. And they get to live with that security. They get to live with that, that, that safety, and they get to live with whatever comes from that, right? We have been called the sons and daughters of God, the living God, who is over all things. His sphere of influence is everywhere. All things fall under his control, and he is the head of. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is everywhere. And we are his sons and daughters. And he says that in Christ, I give you my power. Whoop! In Christ, you go as my ambassador. In Christ, I give you full family authority. Go and live according to your name. Go and declare the truth of your name. For I am with you, and never will I leave you or forsake you. For the kingdom of heaven is what shores you up. You are wrapped in the safety and security and the hope of the kingdom of heaven. If there was ever to be peace, you have it because there is peace between us. You are my son or daughter. I hope as we make our way through Ephesians that the purpose of the book of Ephesians, which is to remind us of our great power and strength in Christ, will change your life. So what is it that happens in this new unity? We are given new life. We are reconciled to Christ, which I just talked about a minute ago. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are adopted as the sons and daughters, fully forgiven and fully reconciled with all the rights and privileges that come from being a child of God. What else happens? We find ourselves united into a new community. A new community that's stronger than our earthly community. It's stronger than our, our, our marriage community. It's stronger than our, our paternal family community. It's stronger than all that because it is not the blood bonds that got all mixed up and, you know, and, and, and passed along through DNA to one another. It's not united by that. It is united by the strength of Christ. It is united by who God is. It is united. His body is united by the will of the living God. Question for you. If you tie something together with the greatest rope you can find or the most amazing cable you can find, something in this world can break it. Something can cause it to fray or fra fracture. Something can cause it to separate. If you take the most greatest authority in all of the universe, the one who created all things, the one who brought all things back under his authority, the one who calls us his son and daughters, and when he unites us and brings us together, what can break that unity. Nothing. Nothing. We are unified in Christ. Our family is the most powerful family on the face of this earth. It is the family of Christ. It is indestructible. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be demolished. It cannot be ruined. And that identity in the family of God can never be taken away. It is a powerful thing that we've been given. And literally, we are to look, we are to love one another, even if it means dying to do so. This community we've been given, Christ died for it, and he said, now each one of you be willing to surrender your life for one another. That's part of this amazing unity that's found in the body of Christ. The world is looking for and longing for peace and respect and civility and equality. And in Christ, all those things exist. In Christ, there's peace. In Christ, there's hope. In Christ, there's equality. In Christ, all are the same before the living God. All have sinned 
in Christ all are forgiven, in Christ all are empowered, in Christ all are, forgi- are, are gifted, and in Christ all have purpose. And Christ holds all of us together. The world is looking for this, literally fracturing apart, looking for unity, looking for peace, looking for hope. And who has it? The body of Christ. And Ephesians spells it out over and over and over again. And how will the body of Christ that lives in the unity of the love of God, how will we treat one another? That's going to be our new way of living. We're going to live in unity and we're going to live in purity. How will we live because of this great reward of being united with Christ? How will we live because of this great reward of being united with one another? Paul doesn't leave it open for, hey, figure it out, guys. Go at it. Look, when Chris and I got married, we went through the premarital counseling. The first day of our marriage, we looked at each other and went, whoa, (laughs) I have no idea how to do this. We spent the last 26 years going, I think we know a a tiny bit more today. Just a little bit more. We got a little bit better. And yet he spells out. I want there to be a question. You're a family now. You're under Christ with all authority, with all knowledge available to you. I want you to know how to live in Christ, in in unity and in purity. And finally, we have new relationships. Paul spells out, how are we going to live? How are we going to live this out? We're going to live this out in a very unique way. But one of the best places, one of the greatest places we're going to show the world unity is in our own homes. In our own homes, we're going to show and demonstrate how somebody who's unified with Christ loves their children, loves their spouse, cares for their children, cares for their spouse. And he gives us the the way and the means to do it. But then he also lets us know that we have an enemy. And he says, I want to give you, you have power to fight that enemy. You are not at the whim of the enemy. I have overcome. There's an enemy that seeks to destroy There's an enemy that seeks to rip us apart. There's an enemy that seeks to cause you to look away from Christ. There's an enemy that seeks to rip a hole and a, I don't know, man, a a canyon through the body of Christ. Couldn't come up with that word to save my life. That just causes a, a fracture in the body of Christ. There's an enemy that wants that, but we have a God that says, Here's how you battle that. We have a a God that unites us in Christ who says, here's how you deal with that. Here's how you overcome that. Here's how you stay unified. Here's how you walk in my power and my grace. Here's how you walk in my love. Here's how you are the representation of the hope of the world. Do you understand your purpose, church? You are the living representation of the hope of the world. Brett, come on out here, man. We're going to worship some more this morning. But we're also going to read scripture this morning. So, hey, man, I think you're stuck back there. I don't know if you can hear me. Come on out. There you go. We're going to take the first three chapters of Ephesians, and we're going to read them together. And then we're going to worship through it. Kind of laid out a little bit of what Ephesians is all about. It's all about being united in Christ. It's all about the power of Christ that's offered to us. It's all about the security of walking with him. It's all about the fact that we are, we are the physical representation of the hope of the world, and that is our great call. Do you live with that power in your life? Do you live with his power flowing through you?
Do you live with that security? Is every day about that? Is the great purpose of your life to walk with him? You're going to hear scripture read. You're going to hear scripture sung. We're going to take communion together to remember the great sacrifice that was paid on our behalf and to remember that we are in Christ. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do and how you do it, Lord. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not, I have not stopped thanking, giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.